Dr. Watson, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, said Stamford, introducing us. How are you, he said cordially, gripping my hand with a strength for which I should hardly have given him credit. You have been in Afghanistan, I perceive. How on earth did you know that? I asked in astonishment. Never mind, he uh, said he, chuckling to himself. The question now is about hemoglobin. No doubt you see the significance of this discovery of mine. Welcome to the first episode of season two, The Detectives. Bum bum. Of Type This Cast, the podcast where we take a close look at our favorite detective stories through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Becky. I'm Janelle, and this week we're kicking off our season on detective fiction with that most most famous of detective duos, Sherlock and Watson, specifically as they were in- introduced to the world through Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's A Study in Scarlet. Before we get started, I just simply cannot help myself but give just a little bit of background on these immensely intriguing and engrossing characters and the stories and the legend behind them. So um, to start with, Sherlock Holmes made his world debut in the year of 1887 in this very text, A Study in Scarlet, that we are looking at today. It was originally published in Beaton's Christmas Annual, and um, Sherlock is a character who is just wrapped in mystery and in rumor and so much adoration through time. So it's thought that he is based on one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's teachers in medical school, Dr. Joseph Bell, who would come to class and amaze his students by making complex diagnoses with the most minute of details, much like Sherlock himself. Um, it's also rumored that the other parts of Sherlock's character are based on a fellow student of Doyle's, uh, George Bud, who was known for being very mercurial and odd. He would go from being brash and gregarious and eloquent on a topic to just completely silent and sullen at the drop of a hat. Also, much like our Sherlock, as I am sure we will discuss. Indeed. Although Sherlock vociferously denies any similarity between himself and a couple of literary and real life detectives Mm. in the very pages of this book there is no denying that doyle was influenced by both the thief turned police officer and founder of the french serreté eugene francois vidoc and the edgar Allan poe's c auguste dupin Mm -hmm. Vidoc published a, let's be honest, sensationalized memoir (laughs) that stirred the public imagination away from the crime or criminal and towards the detective in any of the stories that Mm -hmm. had previously come out. And uh, with Pose Dupin, the nature of the genre changed again, paving the way for Sherlock by focusing on the act of detection. Mm, mm-hmm. Sherlock can say he is nothing like Dupont, uh, if he likes. And he does by telling Watson he thinks Dupont a very inferior fellow. <laughs> but just like Dupont, Sherlock is motivated primarily by a need for mental excitement. Also, the fact that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle serialized many of the Sherlock stories follows in Poe's short mm-hmm. story serialization footsteps. Mm-hmm. Although, no more of that now. We'll talk more about the ways in which Sherlock needs his mental excitement later on. We surely will. Um, and just one of my favorite things about the stories of Sherlock, my favorite little tidbits to share at cocktail parties, honestly, (laughs) are the fact that from the very beginning of Sherlock, from this first story, people thought that he was a real person. Mm -hmm. Because just like Janelle just said, 
It had been the common practice that these crime stories were real crimes. Yeah. Focusing on real criminals. So now that it's moving toward the detective, people thought that these were just sort of like the crime blotter in a newspaper, which, by the way, did not exist yet. It's yeah. because of these stories that that came to be. Um but some of my favorite sort of examples of this are in 1892 in an article in the National Observer by, quote, our special correspondent. They quoted Sherlock as complaining of Doyle plagiarizing the journals of Dr. Watson. <laughs> and people just ate that up. They thought it was the real Sherlock complaining about all of these new sensationalized stories of him. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Strand Magazine, which is where most of the Sherlock stories were published, consistently received letters asking if Holmes was a real detective to which the magazine always responded quite enigmatically. They'd not yet had the pleasure of making his acquaintance, but would most certainly call on him if ever they needed a mystery solved. <sighs> Playing right into the hands and, you know, selling more magazines. Of course. <laughs> but uh, I think my favorite story is one that's repeated even by a favorite professor of mine in grad school about a trip that Doyle's son took to visit the official International Sherlock Holmes Society after uh, his father, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of said Sherlock, passed away. The entire meeting went by with no mention Hmm. of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle whatsoever. So finally, toward the end, his son sort of like poked the guy next to him and asked, he said, why haven't you mentioned my father yet? This is a meeting talking about Sherlock Holmes. Are you not going to talk about his creator? And uh, the gentleman said, oh, we do not recognize that Sherlock Holmes has an author. We do not speak of him. No doubt this group absolutely bought into that plagiarism story that Doyle was misauthoring Sherlock's real life. Indeed. And we laugh at those of old times. We laugh at these silly old-fashioned folks. But people still write letters to 221B Baker Street to the detective Sherlock Holmes today and his character is still veiled in mystery whether he was real or not and (laughs) if he's even still alive so that's my favorite story about Sherlock and I know we're gonna get into a few more I don't know Becky you just raised a question we have yet to type any living humans because we say not to Uh, oh gosh did you just claim that Sherlock is a real person Oh, no. Do I have to give away my beliefs? <laughs> I feel like people will judge me for them. <laughs> if we say he was, do we say people centuries dead are safe? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. We cannot, even if Sherlock was real, if he was alive, I do not believe he has been resurrected or continued to live, <laughs> which the people today writing to him say. Apparently. So... It's fine. Okay. He is dead. We will not steal his Enneagram journey from him. Yep. We are not telling him who he is. We are just postulating on a fictional detective. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Though the stories of his life and conspiracies are fun. They are. Certainly. Today, we're going to be typing... Only two characters, the dynamic duo, of course, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson. You think this will be shorter. (laughs) You're hilarious. (laughs) With just these two characters, they are a minefield Mm -hmm. of ideas. Oh, man, I can't wait to get into it. Um, But before we do, a brief reminder, as we just brought up for those of you playing along at home. Here are the monikers we have come up with to work with and a short I statement for each of the Enneagram types, which we look at. Mm-hmm. So type one, the reformer. I do everything the right way. Type two, the befriender. I help others. Type three, the motivator. I am seen as successful. Type four, the romantic. I 
am unique. Type five, the observer. I need to understand the world. Type six, the guardian. I need to be secure. Type seven, the enthusiast. I am happy and open to new things. Type eight, the challenger. I must be strong. And type nine, the peacemaker. I am agreeable. As we mentioned before, when I questioned Becky about Sherlock's status, don't type real live humans in your life. It's not safe. It's not healthy. It deprives them of the opportunity of gaining that Mm self-knowledge. And honestly, when you do it, you tend to start trying to push it on them. And that's so limiting. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot more we could say and have said about why you shouldn't do this. And if you want more, head back all the way to season one (laughs) to episode 0.5 for our introduction. Yes. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't. Don't become those obnoxious Enneagram people that everyone hates and makes them hate the Enneagram. Exactly. I hear a lot about that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I cannot wait for this, Janelle. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I hope we disagree this time because I'm ready for it. I don't know that we will, but we'll find out. We'll see. This is the time. Here we go. It's the lightning round. Let's type this cast. All right. So let's start with Dr. John Watson. What say you, Janelle? Nine wing eight. (laughs) Five wing six. What? <laughs> I have so many reasons. I believe you do. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh and Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Four wing five. Five wing four. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I yeah. I vacillated so much, but I I, I have to claim him as mine. Okay. All right. I can all right. All right, Becky, go ahead and start us off with your defense for John Watson as a five wing six. Yeah. Um, okay, so Watson was a challenge for me, Mm -hmm. but coming in, I just sort of um, landed on this from moment one and Mm. couldn't get out of it. Hmm. Um, I had a lot of different places I went, Mm -hmm. and I think that I'll wait for you to share, but I think I can see some of your justifications. Um, But I will just start with my big, broad opening quotation, which is the big, broad opening quotation. (laughs) So uh, buckle up. This is a long one. All right. I had neither kith nor kin in England and was therefore, therefore as free as air or as free as an income of 11 shillings and sixpence a day will permit a man to be, under such circumstances, I naturally gravitated to London, that great cesspool into which all the loungers and idlers of the empire are irresistibly drained. So alarmingly did the state of my finances become that I soon realized that I must either leave the metropolis and rusticate somewhere in the country, or that I must make a complete alteration of my style of living. Choosing the latter alternative, I began by making up my mind to leave the hotel and take up my quarters in some less pretentious and less expensive domicile. (laughs) All right. So I use that as our introduction to Watson as Watson stepping into keeping the journals, keeping the tabs, being the one to report, being the one to observe, experience, see everything. But especially this quotation, his introduction to us is very logically giving us his background, his experience in Afghanistan, his injuries, and then what happened to him in London with an emphasis on finances Mm. and losing finances and being foolish with finances, which is the height of flippant behavior for a five, because fives are sort of known as hoarders Mm -hmm. of information, of finances, making sure that they are kept safe um, and protected. So I went in thinking that he was a five Mm -hmm. from that And then it got really complicated at times 
because of wanting, like he says he wants someone else around, Mm -hmm. which fives often don't. Mm -hmm. They want just like their protected space, right? And then he also has these weird emotional moments. His nerves are exasperated. But um, I think this is one of those cases where trauma complicates type Mm. and he has some severe PTSD from the war when he sees death in this story it affects him hugely and he reflect as that happens there's I could give the quote but I'll just talk about it he Mm -hmm. he reflects back on I was at war and I was fine I saw my closest comrades killed in front of me why does this person dead in front of me Mm -hmm. affect me so much but it's because he's safe at home and away. So he's able to like give in to nerves mm-hmm. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I and I saw at every moment he sort of logically after the fact, mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly, but like thinking through the scenario that happened um, right down to his observing and collecting facts and data on what Holmes does. Mm-hmm. And then he justifies it to the reader. Like, you think that I am obsessed, but I am not. Mm-hmm. I had nothing else to occupy my mind. And he is a man of ritual and habit, keeping to himself to um, recover because he's, you know, invalid, basically, because of his war injuries. But also... There are all of these quotes where he has a regular schedule that he keeps to. Mm. And, um, you know, the housekeeper even keeps to that. Mm-hmm. But then he gets upset when it's noticed mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, he's doing his own obsessive sort of collection of data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just saw like every moment logic and science mm. as his center. I think you see, though... A lot of trauma Mm. complicating what would be traditional five space. Mm. Um, So that is why I lean towards six because there are nerves. There is anxiety. There is a desire for community and like thinking about soldierliness, Mm -hmm. like loyalty to to queen and country, queen and country, authority, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um. I think, so I stuck to Study in Scarlet, Mm -hmm. right? It's the beginning. It's all of this. I think that if we expanded our scope, Mm -hmm. when I think about some of the things that happen with him later, I would change my mind. Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, But I think five, because Mm. of the like logic, science, observation is Mm -hmm. just the observer is what fives are called. And Mm -hmm. I just saw observation as that thing that takes the forefront. Yeah. But that is my proposition with Watson. All right. Well, I see your five wing six and raise you a nine wing eight. Raise me, do you? (laughs) Yes. I guess it's a higher number and you are a nine. So you can see it that way. Yes. So... Uh, which is odd for a nine, which is what I'm about to talk about. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first, and in my mind, most importantly, mind you, I also wrote a dissertation that dealt vaguely with this theme. John Watson is the narrator. Mm-hmm. While this may not seem significant on the surface to his Enneagram type, let me just tell you. That among the things I've discovered when interacting with other Enneagram 9s is that even in the seasons, maybe even especially in the seasons when we don't quite resonate with the moniker Peacemaker, we frequently still resonate with the idea of being a narrator. Mm. It's that observer space Mm -hmm. where we are vaguely interacting And watching and being (laughs) too highly aware of the lives of everyone else and fuzzy of our own. Mm. And therefore able to narrate or tell the story of what's happening around us, even if we can't tell our own. Interesting. Um, I know I am not every nine. 
But I also know that several nines talk about how they have misidentified also as fives. And so I find it interesting that we see both of that in Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt it happens the other way around. I don't think I don't there are many think fives who think there are nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, textually, uh, I found a quotation that leaped off the page at me, particularly because it's not unlike things I have said before. And this is particularly after the quotation that I said at the opening of the podcast, after Watson and Sherlock have met. And Watson says to the friend who introduced them, Oh, a mystery, is it? I cried, rubbing my hands. This is very piquant. The proper study of mankind is man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm not going to lie, I tried to change it recently because I'm trying to find a better way to say it. But my description of myself on Facebook and most social media platforms is that I'm a lover of people. And while I want that to be true in my interactions with every person, it comes more from that space of observation, Hmm. that space of study. Watson, like you were talking about, makes a study of Sherlock because he is a mystery to him because mm. he won't explain himself. And that just struck me in the ways I do that. Mm. <laughs> so yes, I am typing Watson a bit out of personal experience and I know I'm not every nine. So I'm just going to leave that there. Um, backing it up away from myself. Um, one of the things, uh, is when they are first introduced, they're talking about um, their detractions, the ways in which they would not mm-hmm. be good roommates or just good to be around. And Watson says, And I object to rouse because my nerves are shaken. And I get up at all sorts of ungodly hours. And I am extremely lazy. Mind you, that's rather self-aware if a nine would say something like that. But that also sounds a bit like the way the world describes a nine, <laughs> except for it's maybe I fall asleep at ungodly hours. Um, but the uh, the description from the Enneagram Institute that struck me with that quotation is, um, and just in Watson in general, he's in this space where he has been injured and he has been resting and healing um, and sort of moved into this space that he maybe not maybe doesn't the reason why he's able to call himself lazy is because he's not necessarily he doesn't always see himself that way but right now in this season he feels it more Mm. um and the description from the enneagram institute's website about nine says when their energy is not used it stagnates like a spring-fed lake that becomes so full of uh, so full that its own weight dams up the springs that feed it when nines um Oh, the rest of it is more applicable for as the story goes on. Um, But last but not least, my point for Watson being a nine is that it goes back to the narrator aspect. Mm -hmm. But you'll notice, as I did, as I was trying to type him, as the story begins, we get lots of Watson's perspective. We get lots about Watson himself. But he all but disappears, merges even, Mm -hmm. As he moves into telling the story of how Sherlock solves the case. Hmm. I have some thoughts. That's fair. <laughs> um, I think I think your your description is really compelling, which is why I'm struck by it, and I will just respond. By saying, I have each of those quotes as perfect examples of why he's a five. Hmm. All of them. And the thing that I'm struck by that I'm really thinking about is something that I didn't connect but is true is that narrativizing. Mm -hmm. Because I just saw him as the narrator as a sure sign that he's a five. Mm. Because it's logical, like this happened, then this happened, and I have thought it through. I have written it out. I have observed. I have taken time with my journals Mm -hmm. in my my lazy, protected space. Mm -hmm. 
And that is how he is the one telling the story. Mm. And so, and I saw that as that five's logical talk style, of which you're saying is a nine's talk style as well, which it is. I'm not disagreeing with that, but, um, but just seeing how both of those things could be mm-hmm. and his description like I have that as one of my main points the I object to rouse yeah as he is just like blunt straightforward this is how it is mm-hmm. I am I am messed up mm-hmm. and I see it and here you go like just straightforward logic this is what it will be like this is how I will be mm-hmm. this is what will be bad or good about this because we need to get this out of the way now yeah when you know and fives go to eight yeah so it's so that's an interesting thing to talk about too because you oh, said definitely. nine wing eight yes and a five goes to eight so that eight space is shared mm-hmm. um yeah so I I still I'm compelled <laughs> but I don't I don't want to say this completely because I don't see him as always merging because he does often stand up for himself. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that a nine doesn't. Yeah. But I just see it as I think the thing that compels me the most away from five, if I'm convinced, is some of the emotion Mm. that he shows Mm -hmm. that he shares um, that he's connected to his emotions, but only sometimes. Yeah. Only when he has to be, and it feels to me out of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still I I lean toward five wing six with trauma. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, but I like there is something. Although it's interesting too that you see the six ishness because where does nine go in stress? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and something else you said. What was it? Um. You. Oh, my brain just died. Oh, that. Um, no, you mentioned something about his observation of Sherlock. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. It was when you talked about um, the way in which he is observing Sherlock solving crimes. Mm-hmm. And I think the way... You know, you went into your studies of narratology, mm-hmm. but I just so, I mean, Watson is just the stand in for the reader, mm-hmm. right? We're suspending some of the like diving into character and going into literary study. Yeah. But so many of the times where he is like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I'm just a dumb person. That's and simply the. Sherlock is, you know, showboating. Yeah. Where he. It's just Watson taking a step back so the reader can enter in and be mm-hmm. like, wow, it's amazing. But the way that Watson enters in is still through logic mm. is I need you to give me the logic puzzle mm-hmm. and is starting from reading this outlandish article that Sherlock wrote about his form of detection mm-hmm. and... um. Watson reading this and saying, this is pure foolishness. None of this is science. This is illogical. And I know logic. I know science. I know the way the brain works. Mm -hmm. And this is not correct. Yeah. So it's still like standing up from his deep study. Yeah. Is what I saw. And the way Sherlock hooks him. Yeah. Is through logic and being Sherlock. Yeah. But um, yeah. But I still, yeah, I think, I think five. That's fair. I definitely, I definitely see that space also. I mean, gosh, you know, almost as many times as I have waffled about my Mm. own number and how often I land with, well, maybe I am Mm. a five. Um, And I'm not, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait to talk about Sherlock now because we're going to have the opposite conversation uh-huh. because I find it really interesting that we typed. We took one each. We each took one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I fought against it. Yeah. No, like, me too. I, uh, I tried. But I have to so claim Sherlock as mine. <laughs> like I just, I saw way too much of myself to feel comfortable. That's fair. In Sherlock. But um, uh, before getting into that, yeah. why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Uh, really quickly yeah. Uh, about Watson, uh, the quotation where he's just finished reading the, the article uh, that mm-hmm. made me say, Eight wing? 
Mm. Um, is his the what he says is what ineffable twaddle I cried <laughs> slapping the magazine down on the table I never read such rubbish in my life <laughs> I'm sorry I just love that line more uh-huh. than life <laughs> it's so beautiful <laughs> Can we all just call things we do disagree with ineffable, ineffable twaddle? Yes. <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag ineffable Ine- twaddle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I definitely I I I see uh I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'm right. Stick into my guns though. No, I'm right. No. You're wrong. Hashtag Watson's a nine. No, hashtag <laughs> he's a five. Five wing six. Five wing six. Hard five wing six. All right. So for Sherlock, uh, I said he was a five wing four. And uh, admittedly, it feels a bit like cheating to type Sherlock as a five. Mm-hmm. And I fought against it too. Um, and that's mostly because in so many different descriptions of fives, you'll see the words Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I hate um, it. He is used as an albeit exaggerated and stereotyped but an example of what fiveness looks like in the world and so i did feel a little wonky doing it Mm -hmm. but he has such a huge four wing Mm -hmm. that i just i stopped feeling bad about it because there's some there's definitely some room to play because he isn't a straightforward textbook five. No, nope. but he definitely has textbook five qualities. Yep. Um, going back to, uh, a, the one sentence description from the Enneagram Institute's website of a five is the intense cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Mm-hmm. The uh, first quotation I have here for Sherlock is uh, about the mind palace. You see, he explained, I consider that a man's brain originally is like a little empty attic, and you have to stock it with such information as you choose. Now, the skillful workman is very careful indeed as to what he takes into his brain attic. He will have nothing but the tools which may help him in doing his work. But of these, he has a large assortment and all in the most perfect order. Mm-hmm. To me, that feels so much like that beautiful mix of the five with the abundance and gathering of special information, of information on topics that f- intrigue them. And the well-curated, it-has-to-be-beautiful for space. Mm-hmm. Sort of the way I argued that Tinkerbell was a four because mm-hmm. her her boudoir was so beautifully yeah. um, perfect. perfect and it was you know better than the boys and mm-hmm. things like that. It's It feels very much like well, if you were to walk into Sherlock, Sherlock's mind attic, mm-hmm. it would be just... I mean, you wouldn't know anything about the universe, but you would have the most well-organized of files and the periodic table of elements on the wall and things like that. There would be some delicious books up there. Oh, you know it. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, Then the other thing that uh, struck me particularly is uh, the way in which he is described... uh, when he's on a case, mm-hmm. um, Watson in the early days, before he's figured out exactly what it is that Sherlock does, says, Nothing could exceed his energy when the working fit was upon him. And that doesn't sound like a five when you read it. Until you remember, fives go in either disintegration or integration to the most energetic numbers on the frickin' Enneagram. So whether or not he's stressed and trying to get this thing solved and going into seven and hyperactive or going to eight because he is just in that going for it space and gotta get it done, he, of course, he's suddenly energetic Mm -hmm. instead of the moments of lethargy and 
just the pacing or the just sitting on the couch thinking. Mm -hmm. And if Watson didn't know better, he would think he was an addict. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. To those of you who don't know the Watson and Sherlock stories, Sherlock has a substance abuse problem, which also shows that he might go to seven in stress. Or be melancholic. That's a potential. Continue. Um, those were my primary points for Sherlock. There are many okay. other things I could point to, but I'll leave it there and pass them back to you. Okay. So let's start by saying I went into this certain that this was an open and shut case. <laughs> Sherlock is the prototype of a five. But is he though? What? No, he's not. He's 100% not. I do not think so anymore but like so I went in and I was like oh this is like yeah because I had all of my examples in my head ahead of time Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I never do but I was like well this yeah five this five like him hiding away in his mind palace hello five yeah but as I just from page one was reading I was just I was like, well, okay. (laughs) Surely five with like the strongest four wing, Mm -hmm. which is what you have argued for. But then as I kept reading his central motivations, his actions, his reactions, especially, Mm -hmm. I just, it, it was me. (laughs) Like it was how I deal with life as a four wing five. And just especially these, the ways in which Sherlock is often described as bipolar, mm-hmm. how what you were saying as his like maybe going into eight space, but like a four in ideal, mm-hmm. I am unique. I am doing the thing that I am meant to do that I uniquely in the world can do space. Mm-hmm. Like we have so much energy yeah. <laughs> into that. And then all of a sudden when it's not interesting, when we don't feel it, when we're not there for it, it's like completely withdrawn in our own space, look completely depressed and melancholy thinking about the world. And I just like, I paused earlier when you were reading one of the quotes because you didn't continue Uh because the thing in the quote that like, that was one of the quotations that proved to me he was a four. It wasn't going to be one of my examples, but now it is Uh because you said nothing would exceed his energy when the working fit was upon him. And then it continues. But now and but now and again, a reaction would seize him. And for days on end, he would lie upon the sofa in the sitting room, hardly uttering a word or moving a muscle from morning to night. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you about my life. (laughs) (laughs) I am in. I am going. Everything is beautiful. The work I'm doing is meaningful and worthwhile. And then something happens Mm -hmm. that causes me a shame reaction Mm. or an upset reaction. And I just withdraw. Mm -hmm. I close into my dark hole of like five space hole, my ideal space, and just don't go anywhere. Like it can be a week and I won't have left the house and I don't notice, Mm -hmm. which is what Sherlock does. Yeah. Um, So I just really saw that Mm -hmm. as just like the continued example you were giving. Yeah. Um. But I think the most significant to me are even from moment one, when he first meets Watson, it's just his eccentricity that comes at the front, his unique spirit Mm. in seeking after his knowledge Mm -hmm. that hits you. But um, so I'm going to read a quote that I wasn't going to because the quote I was going to read touches on what we just talked about. So Uh um, this is the first moment that Watson is seeing Sherlock after the first introduction and Watson is describing him. This isn't Sherlock on himself. Mm-hmm. But Watson says, his eyes fairly glittered as he spoke, and he put his hand over his heart and bowed as if to some applauding crowd conjured up by his imagination. So it's, I have done it. Be impressed. I'm amazing. I'm unique. And it's just this like dramatic flair that oftentimes in these moments of like, 
joy and the ineffable beauty of a thing a four can embrace Mm -hmm. and just everything really just shown that way um and equally he talks about like one of my favorite quotes from Sherlock just because he is so Sherlock as Watson's finally figuring out what he does he says well I have a trait of my own, I suppose. I am the only one in the world. Mm -hmm. This idea, like, I am unique. And the central motivating drive of a forest to be unique. So as Watson's trying to figure him out, which, by the way, that's how we fours always feel, Mm. that everyone's always trying to figure us out, that Mm -hmm. we are an enigma even to ourselves, Mm -hmm. that it's... He didn't, he read all of these books, he studied all these things, but he didn't earn anything for it. Like it wasn't to get a degree. And I just go down these rabbit holes of joy and interest, Mm -hmm. like for days on end and lock myself away. Like, just like Sherlock, I see him in myself and it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, So I saw that. And the last thing I'll leave you with is the thing that I think just really speaks to four wing five, especially mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a longer quotation again, but I just, I love this for the beauty of a four. Okay. So it's sometimes the violin chords were, uh, sonorous and melancholy. Mm. Occasionally they were fantastic and cheerful. Clearly they reflected the thoughts which possessed him, but whether the music aided those thoughts or whether the playing was simply the result of a whim or a fancy was more than I could determine. I might have rebelled against these exasperating solos had it not been that he usually terminated them by playing in quick succession Mm. a whole series of my favorite airs as a slight compensation for the trial upon my patience. This is like textbook for behavior because He's processing, he's in his space, he's melancholy, but it's not, it's just his state of being. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking in this really weird, unique, annoying way with this (laughs) violin that he's playing. And it's not music, but it sometimes is, but it's the thing that's expressing his deep melancholy emotions Mm -hmm. and his friend is trying to figure him out and being driven crazy by his melancholy and his weirdness Mm -hmm. and then he Sherlock knows that senses that feels that and ends it with empathy Mm -hmm. with like the song that I know will bring you joy Mm -hmm. that will meet you where you are using this art using this eccentricity to meet you and soothe you Mm -hmm. um and I just it's just so beautiful and also just this weird way of him expressing his inner thoughts Mm -hmm. is very for space so that was actually one of the only moments not the only moments that i saw for i saw for in a lot of places but one of the only moments where i saw any of the for empathy so Mm. much of sherlock holmes is lacking in what i would describe as being central to a four's personality um, in that empathetic space. Um, They're the ones who can sit with you when you are mourning, when you are going through the hard times. And Sherlock is either the flightiest of fours you've ever met Mm -hmm. or he... Uh, that's where I see the five being the do- his dominant number with the the big four wing, because a five can't access the emotions the same way. And I don't see. I mean, when you're a detective, you're not going to weep over every crime scene you go mm-hmm. to. That's not what I'm expecting. But when he's interacting, even with the criminals, while he does understand the the things that are happening for the criminals and the reasons why they're committing these crimes, it comes from a space of logic mm-hmm. instead of the the emotional side of things. So while I see your four wing five, I'm still sticking to my five wing four. That's fair. I think the thing for me, like I absolutely wrestled with that. Mm-hmm. So 
either way we go, Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like split. Yeah. Like wing is a hard way to explain it because he's like half four, half five. Yeah. Um, but I did see some moments of empathy, but I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I feel that as a four, like I am deeply empathetic and I feel and sit in the pain of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think aside from the, aside from the motivating, I am unique factor. Mm -hmm. I think there's something about justice and something about the evil in the world, whether Sherlock will admit it to you or not, Uh that motivates his profession because he has to do something worthwhile. And I think there is something of empathy in that. Hmm. I think he doesn't often show it. One could make an argument for toxic masculinity. One could make an argument for hiding his sexuality. That's another conversation. Yeah. Um, One could make a lot of arguments for why that might be. But I think that it is a for masking Mm. some of that emotional space. That's why that is why he is an opium addict. Yeah. That is why he sits for days on end playing the violin. It's it's described as he is reacting to something mm-hmm. and he can't keep the five box boxed anymore. Yeah. Like the wing, because I think he's more centrally re- reacting in shame, reacting in hmm. emotion that he's hiding. So that's why he's so dependent but I think you see moments of empathy. You mm-hmm. just, and maybe I'm reading too much. Maybe you have to look for them too deeply, but I don't think so. Like they just shine to me. Mm. Um, one of the moments I noted that was um, when Sherlock finally reveals what he does mm-hmm. to uh, Watson. It's because Watson is in a place of being really not okay and emotionally disturbed by the mm-hmm. scene, by what he's experiencing from his PTSD. Mm-hmm. And that is when he reveals it because Watson starts being emotionally perturbed. Mm. He like the, the quote I have is, um, with the unreasonable petulance of mankind, I rang the bell and gave a curt intimation that I was ready. This is to the landlady when she assumed things about Watson's everyday behavior because it was the same every day. Mm-hmm. And he was getting short and he was getting rude because he was upset mm-hmm. that others saw through his PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, this is while my companion munched silently on his toast and then he's watching this whole thing go down. Holmes is watching Watson react to the landlady. And that's when he's finally like, okay, I'll give you the snippet. Yeah. And some of that is power over. Some of that, we could talk about that for days. Yeah. But I just saw that it, empathy in Sherlock's own special, weird, still very five really hard into five space way. Mm. But especially the character he's constructed with, I think, seeing the pain in Watson Mm -hmm. and that he does these things and brings Watson along because Watson's not okay. Mm -hmm. And he has empathy for the ways in which Mm -hmm. Watson's not okay from that first description Watson Mm -hmm. gives of himself as like a broken man, essentially. Yeah. That's why Holmes takes him on. Interesting. I project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my thesis. I think uh-huh. especially when he starts talking about overcoming the common and then using the commonplace to do his magic. Mm-hmm. I just I related to that so much, like so many of those moments. But yes, I, I'll leave it there. All right. That's fair. I was going to bring up shopping at Fred Meyer, but. Yes, that is a similar scenario. It's true. Using that, that's it's the good for space when you're able to shop <laughs> at Fred Meyer instead of the fancy local farmer's market with all of the vegan foods and beautiful things. When you just shop at the big supermarket with normal type things. Yep. It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, wh- while we... Uh, still clearly disagree on both of these. I do truly appreciate that we saw um, the saw these characters clear enough or clearly enough to mm-hmm. um, still all land in the withdrawing types. Yeah. So regardless of 
They're clearly withdrawers. They're obviously Duh. withdrawers. Yeah. Which is why they're perfect together. Yeah, it hey. works. Roommates. <laughs> Roommates. Well, and just one of the things in general that I've uh, that I was thinking about because of seeing the withdrawing types living together is one of the things every Enneagram teacher will tell you <clears throat> there's no perfect combination for friendships or relationships between numbers. Um, health is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But secondarily to health, a lot of teachers are saying more and more, is um, stance-related and um, subtype-related because someone who is a one-to-one in their subtype is going to really clash with someone who is um, self-preservation in their subtype. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. It depends on the overall type and other things. But um, withdrawing stance could end up having issues with each other because you're always going to be stepping on each other's toes in tight quarters. But on the other side, a withdrawing type living with an aggressive type? Nope. Just sounds like I would cry all craziness. The time. I would just always cry. <laughs> um, but I mean, in my family, we're we have all three of the stances, hmm. and it works. I mean, sevens are a different sort of aggressive type mm-hmm. than eights are, obviously. But it's still an interesting dynamic thinking about the ways in which my my brother and I interacted growing up with drawing and an aggressive but I've digressed greatly away from Watson and Holmes well no I don't think so because I, th- I think there is something to that the fact that they no matter what their type mm-hmm. <laughs> because they both withdraw mm-hmm. as a necessity to yeah. survive that's true for each of them. Mm-hmm. They can respect that and listen to the other when the other says, because they both at some point say to each other, this is going to happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Just bear with me and I'll come back. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something really beautiful in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think what you're saying is good to health and awareness are yeah. what are necessary. Oh, so yes. even if... An aggressive type with a withdrawing type were to be partnered, Mm -hmm. Um, not just like sibling together, but, you know, wanting to do life together and deal with conflict together Mm -hmm. and all of those things. It could work really well as long as you know the other's stance Mm -hmm. and aggressor, you're going to have to pull back sometimes and let the withdrawer withdraw long enough to like survive recoup Mm -hmm. and then withdrawer you'll have to recognize that the aggressor wants to deal with the thing and go at it Mm -hmm. because that's when they feel safe and healthy yeah so i think there's something to that but i do love the beauty of these two i mean i will be honest i started assuming they were both fives yeah i was like oh two fives doing life together (laughs) it's the perfect thing the best apartment ever so many books Uh (laughs) but uh that's not the case no (laughs) No matter what type (laughs) They are. I, yeah. I don't think that that's true. Um, um, so yeah. that was one of the things that like that struck me even before we I heard what you type how you typed them mm-hmm. um, was just sort of that withdrawing space for both of them. Um, but the the thing to um, I had a hard time with Watson. Me I did too. land on nine. Um, I played around with several different types uh, and the thing that kept. Uh, making it difficult for me to land was some of those uh, those temper spaces, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. both made me wonder, well, is that is that two going to eight? Is that is that an eight wing? Is that just some of that crazy nine anger that's leaking out? Um, and. Yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting task. And like you said, I think for both Holmes and Watson, looking at more than just a study in Scarlet, mm-hmm. um, looking at the other stories mm-hmm. and trying hard not to think about the adaptations when I was doing this, but looking at the adaptations would give you a very different idea of their types as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a real hard time not 
picture. I would argue you can't do both. You have to do oh, one no. or the other. Oh, of course. But, yes. Yeah. I, and I mean, admittedly. Like, look at Doyle's or look at Stephen Moffat's. Exactly. <laughs> I had a really hard time not thinking about any of the adaptations same, that I've experienced. There are so many yeah. out there that I have seen because I love these stories. Oh, of course. But yeah. Um, and that's the fun with adaptation too because mm-hmm. you get to play with characterization mm-hmm. instead of just setting and whatever else. There's that space for the actor to bring their own type. Mm-hmm. Well, their own type and their own interpretation of the characters. Exactly. Type. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they're not <laughs> Even outrightly if they're not. doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I find that really interesting. I, yeah, I like the idea of thinking about who these characters are together. Because mm-hmm. there's just something in that. Yeah, Watson was really a struggle for me. Yeah. Um, and for me, I more saw the struggle as being someone in trauma is really hard mm-hmm. to type. Because he's yeah. like, this is the story where he is the most dealing with his trauma because mm-hmm. he's just back from the war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, and injured and feeling like a failure of a man and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things I was interested in, especially going in, but even as I found their types to be slightly different to what I thought, mm-hmm. you know, just the Sherlock Holmes story, if one was to type a story as a five, mm-hmm. um, just this overarching theme, which is, I think, probably some of what was kind of getting me into that five space is mm-hmm. this idea of order and logic triumphing over evil and chaos in the world. So it's mm-hmm. this way, just this way that we can lean on the logos, yeah. the logic of the world over the madness. But then I found it really interesting once I thought, once I decided mm-hmm. that Sherlock was a four because that's what he wants. Mm. He wants to be logical. Mm-hmm. He wants to live in his head more than in his gut, in his feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that he goes there really quickly. Yeah. Which as a four wing five, let me tell you, I'm feelings first, but it is almost instantaneously in my head. Mm. Like processing the feelings, logicking the feelings, looking at all of the research in the world about why people react that way mm-hmm. and doing that. So I just I find that to be really interesting and really comforting in the story as a whole. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sherlock, like the ways in which I was able to relate to Sherlock mm-hmm. are both terrifying because of how unhealthy he is, but also really hopeful. Yeah. Like Sherlock's great. <laughs> He's endearing. Like maybe I'm not terrible. No. Not that I think that I am. But, you know, in yeah. those moments when when he is going crazy, like I do that. Mm. And I think it was just really healing for me to be like, Oh, even like Watson's okay with that, with the violin, Uh because in the end, Sherlock understands that he is difficult to live with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And here is like a little thing to calm your nerves. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and having that empathy for his friend too. Mm-hmm. But I, I just even love how like logic just sort of wins the day in these stories. Uh-huh. Even in the very like comfort of reading a Sherlock Holmes story, mm-hmm. once they were established, you knew the formula you were getting. Yeah. It was always the same with some supernatural fun thrown in. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have the like, someone looks for Sherlock. Holmes and Watson investigate. The police are already there and bum ba bum ba They fail. Uh-huh. And Sherlock jumps up and like, I will be the expert, but I'm going to smoke for a while first and make everyone look a fool and have to reach out and beg me. Mm-hmm. And then I will have solved it. And I will amazingly solve the crime with a flourish and my hand on my heart and, <laughs> you know, some sort of black magic that people think is black magic, but really isn't. It's something commonplace. And I tricked you all mm-hmm. with my magic skills. That for <laughs> in my mind, just that theatricality mm. and then returning to Baker Street with Holmes and Watson clean, fixed the world as it's meant to be mm-hmm. feels so safe and logical mm. in a world that is not logical. 
And I just, there's something that I've always loved about that with Sherlock Holmes. Like, it's just so comforting to me, I think. Definitely. It has that same feel. This is going to further out my my nerd cred uh, or just nerd card. But um, that same feeling when you come back from commercial break and while we see the Enterprise Mm -hmm. flying by, you hear Captain Picard say, Stardate, whatever Mm -hmm. the date is, Mm -hmm. Captain's Log, and you know everything will work out. Mm -hmm. The bad guys will be defeated. Mm -hmm. They've fixed the ship. Jordy will be okay, or whomever was in danger. It's that, yeah. Well, it's the comfort of a formula. Exactly. I don't, you know, we often use the word formulaic as like a curse word. A pejorative, in yeah. Yeah, and I just, there are moments where I definitely feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, reinvent this, do something unique and original. I mean, much of the time I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But there is something really comforting about an episodic experience about a formula where I know the bad guys are going to get caught in the end Mm -hmm. but the journey to get there is sure fun and sometimes terrifying even though I know they will be defeated in the end and as someone I know once wrote about in this long paper she had to write there is within the formula within the rules ways to bend convention and I might spend some time talking about the way Christy does that because if there was anyone who knew how to tell a story in a particular way and admitted her own limitations, it was Christy. Mm -hmm. She said of her own writing, she's like, I know I'm not brilliant, but I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And within that she was able to pull off murder of Roger Ackroyd's mm. and Orient Expresses. Mm-hmm. She was able to flip us on our heads within the formula. Yeah, I exist in this strange space mm-hmm. because uh, I am the one who wrote the Jane Austen paper mm-hmm. <laughs> about... Clearly, Austin is more brilliant than people give her credit because she is working within a formula that she had to, mm-hmm. much like you just explained about Christy, but I would argue more brilliantly, but I, I also love Christy. Don't, yeah. No, don't, no, no. Don't get I, at me. Um, but you're good. I, um, but while I just said something <laughs> about the comfort mm-hmm. of a formula, the bad guy is caught. Mm-hmm. That I mean, mm-hmm. it comes from having the comfort of that mm-hmm. and then seeing that that's just not true, mm-hmm. that noir is able to exist. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like noir, because it says we did the thing, mm-hmm. but the world is not fixed. Yeah. The world is still a dark, terrible, awful, painful place. Mm-hmm. And people are still dying. Drugs are still happening. Mm-hmm. We are still all beaten down. And you cannot in this space clean up the world Mm -hmm. which i i would argue christy is also saying and there are ways in which sherlock is doing that too because there is another crime the next week Mm -hmm. but they just leave it a little too clean for my taste Mm. sometimes that's fair um but it is comforting yeah i like having the escapism Mm -hmm. of the formula yeah but i do think that there is a little bit of irresponsible escapism in it, but mm-hmm. it depends on what you're going to your fiction for. And yes, I know there are arguments to the other side. I was going to say it also, not unlike with Austin, it also depends on how close you're paying attention. Right. Because. Agreed. There might be pretty bows. Yeah. But they're tied around. What the heck just happened? Well, hell, Roger Ackroyd, man. Yeah. You trust nothing. Do you know how many of Poirot's murderers actually made it into the justice system? Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Sorry. Um, When you have an aristocrat cleaning things up for you, that's how that works. I know. That's not Poirot. No. But you'll get into that in our next podcast. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our very first episode of season two, The Detectives. Bum, bum. We'd like to thank Matthew Ziganist for use of his music. 
Check out his songs on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and any and all of the other music streaming and purchasing websites and apps and whatnot. (laughs) And thank you to our sound wizard, Joel Miller. We would like to especially thank you, dear listener. We've enjoyed having you along for this literary and cinematic Enneagram journey. Absolutely. And you can find us on the social meds, as mm-hmm. always. That social media. We are on Twitter at TypeThisCast, Instagram at TypeThisCast, and email us your thoughts. Please do at TypeThisCast at gmail.com to continue the conversation. And look out this week for your chance to type this cast with our Sherlock and Watson poll. We would love to hear your disagreements with us since we disagreed so vociferously. Indeed. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please go rate and review Type This Cast on iTunes or any of the other places you listen. iTunes, however, is the place where we will end up being found with the more reviews and ratings we have. Thank you to those of you who have already done so. And the other way people can find out about us is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Tell your friends to check us out and join us as we journey through the Enneagram. Yeah, we love having more people in on that conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The more the merrier, I say. Mm -hmm. We will leave you today as we do each day with the ineffable words of Neil Gaiman from his magical poem instructions. Trust dreams. Trust your heart and trust your story. 